Let's go. You're listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Hey folks, podcast and listeners, Al Martin here. Welcome to Making Data Simple. I appreciate you being here as always. Hope things are well. It's a little dreary out today, but I'm bringing a ton of energy. I'm going to jump right in as I normally do. Today, I have my guest is Nick Amabil, and uh, he's the CEO of DAS42. This is a U.S. data analytics consulting firm that helps companies make better business decisions faster. I'm thinking with that name, the first thing I thought, he must be the consultant of Roswell Area 51 or something. I, I don't know. We're, we're going to have to get the name. Is founded in 2015 comprised of data analysts, scientists, business professionals, and engineers. They provide end-to-end data services. That includes data strategy, tech stack integrations, application implementation, enterprise analytics training. How, how did I do, Nick? Uh, pretty good, pretty good, Al. <laughs> Not bad at all. So yeah, so thanks for having me again. And yeah, so SAS42 is a boutique data analytics consulting firm. And you know, like you said, we have kind of what we call the full stack philosophy where you know, not only do we do the technical integrations, but we really take a business-focused lens first and foremost to these type of projects. And we focus exclusively on modern cloud-based systems. So this is like Snowflake, Google Cloud, AWS, so like kind of all the big players in the data analytics ecosystem. Uh, we work with these tools to implement them and make them successful uh, to actually drive business outcomes for companies. Nicely done. It seems like you've said that before. A few times, definitely. <laughs> not, not the first time. You're not, you know, you got to wake up pretty early to get me on that one. <laughs> so I, I actually come from expert lab services, services for data and AI, AI apps, automation. You know, IBM has its own IBM consulting, but this is more closer to the lab to make the product sticky, et cetera. Before we jump into that, I always like to start with your experience. Tell us a little bit of history of yourself and how you ended up where you're at. Data analytics, such kind of a fragmented situation. And now you have like data scientists, you have machine learning, you have all these different roles. You know, I actually went to school for economics, um, you know, really studied statistics, econometrics, uh, worked um, at a consulting firm a long time ago doing uh, statistical programming. So like SAS and Stata for those folks that are familiar with that kind of stuff. Uh, but I really enjoyed the technical aspect. I really enjoyed the quantitative aspect, but really the technical aspect, the programming aspect. Basically, almost got fired from that first job. Uh, realized it wasn't, you know, to I me, mean, it wasn't the right fit. And uh, you know, upon a lot of reflection and time, I, I can say that now. The lucky thing was, I went to go work for a number of different startups after that. Um, really got involved in analytics. Um, you know, kind of, and, and basically found that every time I wanted to get a report at the, this job. Uh, I would have to go talk to a DBA and the DBA would be kind of grumpy and he'd be like, you know, whatever, I don't have time for you to get this report. And then the CEO, I'd get the report, I'd go take it to the CEO and the CEO would be, okay, what does this mean? Is this number right? Et cetera, et cetera. And I'd be like, well, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't write, you know, the query. I don't really know all the data. And so what I realized that I was missing that technical aspect, I, I kind of was the bridge between the business and technical. And so I really invested my career. And, and learning more about the technical side, teaching myself different types of programming, but really focusing on reaching that gap between business and technical teams. And most recently, I was the head of business intelligence at Jet.com. And prior to that, I was in senior analytics roles at Etsy. You know, luckily, I was ahead of the curve on some of these big data type technologies. I was working in Hadoop and other things like that, which was very interesting. And learned a lot of lessons the hard way, hung out my shingle to really just Try to save folks a lot of the same headaches that I had already faced and, you know, thought I was a little bit out of the curve. So 
you know, basically I just wanted to have a lifestyle business where I could choose my own clients and work from home and still focus on the actual practitioner aspect of it. Of course, now it's grown into a much bigger thing. Our second customer was Amazon. And so that really kind of meant that we were off to the races. So now we're about a company of 65 people, private equity backed, got some really big blue chip customers and, you know, just loving it, you know, still, still doing the work. Nice. Very nice. I think you described every DBA and sorry, <laughs> DBAs, you got to admit you're a little bit grumpy. Always uh, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you got to jump in and tell me about DAS42. Yeah, so the original corporate name of the company was Data and Analytic Services. So that's the DAS, pretty uh, simple. The 42 is a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's the you know, meaning uh, of life, the universe, and everything. And you know, if, if you know the story about you know, how, how the supercomputer comes back with the answer, the answer is 42. But you know, when the people get the answer, they're so confused. They're like, well, what does this mean? And the supercomputer is like, how can you understand the answer if you don't understand the question? And so that's kind of like what we do at DOS42 is help folks understand their questions and ask the right questions of their data. And a lot of times it's the question that needs uh, sort of refinement versus kind of the answer or the technical side of it. So anyway, a little bit of a reference. Wow. Did you shorten it over time or something to just make it DOS or is that yeah, all? Yeah, it was, it was like, I mean, data analytic services doesn't exactly roll off the tongue and it's pretty generic and, uh, you know, the, the .com was available. So, you, you know, you got to have the .com. Yeah, no, that makes <laughs> sense. I, I went out to your website for the podcast. It's nice. How do you Thanks. go from economics? I mean, in fact, there's been a handful of folks that go from economics to analytics. It doesn't seem like I kind of get it. You, you could say a lot of data science is about yeah. statistics, et cetera. But is that it? Is that the connection? I mean, how do you make that connection? How do you make that leap? Yeah, I mean, that, like, like I said, I think that's certainly part of it. But, you know, for me, again, like working in the statistical programming aspect, you, what you kind of realize it's almost like a Python type thing these days. And like now, you know, sort of when I went to school, they didn't have programs in data analytics. Nowadays, they have boot camps, they have master's yeah. degrees in business analytics, and all this kind of stuff that wasn't available. And, you know, to your point, it's, it's like, the people that I've worked with in my career that I really thought were great, you know, sort of data analytics people, they've been everything from biostats, computer science, kind of more the traditional path, all the way to like English majors and, you know, sculpture people and, and sort of liberal arts type people. It's crazy. I think, you know, it's, it's that critical thinking aspect that I think is really important. And then, of course, if you have a passion for technology, then you're able to really combine it. And it's, it's a difficult profile. I mean, we're, we're out in the market trying to hire these folks all the time. I know a lot of people, probably your listeners are out there trying to find, um, you know, data analysts, data scientists, data engineers, uh, and it's really difficult to hire those folks. And then, and once you hire them, it's also difficult to retain them. Uh, So yeah, exactly. So it's a tough market out there and you got to start looking for these different kinds of backgrounds. The non-traditional backgrounds, I think really brings a diverse perspective uh, to the field. You know, it's funny. I I joke about this, but I'm, I'm dead serious. And that is when I got into data, you know, it was more like two phase commits and and, you know, working with banks and stuff like that. I mean, yeah. it, was, it was very important. I saw how important it was. But, you know, if you tell your friends, it was like, hey, what are you doing? It doesn't sound that important, man. And now it's like data is the center of the universe. Yeah. That's why, you know, so on this podcast, we talk about everything. But I still kept the name Making Data Simple because it seems like it always comes back to data, right? It's something. It's data analytics or whatever. And you're right. Right now, you, it's hard to find talent. It's hard to keep talent. It's hard to find talent. So it doesn't surprise me that your consulting uh, team is doing well. You said you've, you've had this going since 2015? Yeah, since 2015. You know, it's been a good ride. I mean, you know, like I said, I mostly was just trying to have a lifestyle business. And, you know, I didn't want to become a manager of managers. I still wanted to be close to the work. And I still am passionate. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm still talking to our clients 
every day about how we can help solve their their data problems or accurately actually their, their business problems with data. Um, that's really what we try to focus on. Uh, and so I'm really passionate about it. Obviously, you know, I love, you know, we come to work every day, but uh, it's just such a need because like you're saying, right, the folks that need the talent can't find the talent. And then even if you can find the talent, you know, it's a, it's kind of a crapshoot, right? You might have a team of folks that maybe know your technology stack. Maybe they don't, maybe they're going to work out, maybe they won't. But that's, you know, a lot of the stuff is outsourceable because, you know, most people for, for like, let's say data warehousing and business intelligence, every business needs that. And not every business is going to build up an expertise in data engineering and business intelligence. You know, there's some strategic aspects to that, but it's quite outsourceable. And so we find that, you know, given the talent market the way it is, given the needs of modern businesses, like we fill a pretty big niche. So when I introduced and, and I said you're a consulting organization, you kind of paused me for a second and said, well, and you kind of broke that down. I mean, so are you consulting or could you say, well, we do business? Blah, blah, you know, so just to make sure you say your brand's consulting, is that, is that it? Period? Yes. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's always a little bit more nuanced than that, right? I mean, so, you know, like I said before, you have kind of the business team and the technology team. And oftentimes they talk past each other. We come in and we fill that gap. And so what does that exactly mean? You know, we, we talk to the business folks. We understand, you know, how do you make money? What customers do you have? You know, who are you going after? And then we sort of work backwards to a technical solution and actually then hands-on keyboard, we implement the data pipelines, data warehouse, we build out the reporting. So it is a lot of actual implementation, but I think the difference between us and other firms is we are opinionated. You know, we have ways and methodologies of doing things and, and sort of opinions on different technology that, that we like. And we're not just going to, you know, take orders from our customers. We really collaborate with them, develop a plan and a strategy and of course, we implement that strategy. So it's not just us delivering PowerPoint decks. We're actually like building out code and, and data pipelines and all that kind of stuff. So I got it. So consulting and services, but you know, yeah. under the consulting umbrella, is that, that makes sense. So why not join? There's Accenture, there's IBM, there's all kinds of consulting places. Why do your own thing? I thought we had a little bit different approach to things. Like I said, I was quite opinionated uh, on the modern stack. What we found is that a lot of you know bigger consulting firms like your Accentures or Slaloms, et cetera, who, who do have practices they're not particularly in focused on that side of the business. Of course, we have a high level of service, you know, being a small agile boutique. So we bring that sort of boutique methodology, but we're, again, we, that's all we do. We don't do like legacy systems. We don't do on-prem, you know, none of that is what we do. We only focus on the modern stack, um, which I think is a little bit different. And there's certainly good boutiques out there that also do what we do, but you know, we think we're uh, on the larger side of that. And we still think there's a gap in the market. That's what we're trying to fill. We're trying to come and be the scaled boutique that fits in between the real small folks and uh, and some of the bigger ones. And I think, you know, last I checked, at least one of the few, if not the only, private equity-backed boutique consulting firm in the space. So I, I get the modern stack. Uh, and maybe you've kind of already said it, but I, I hit it one more time. What do you say is your differentiator from, uh, you know, I got the modern stash person, but then I assume there's other consulting organizations or even a mine, you know, we could say, hey, we're sure. driving the modern stack, but what do you do different? You know, what business problems are you trying to solve? Most other boutiques do not have the skill and experience in the enterprise. They don't have very large customers and very complex projects like we do. Of course, the bigger guys have the blue chip customers. They have the enterprise experience. They don't have the technical depth. So again, we're kind of fitting in the middle between sort of the boutiques uh, on, on smaller boutiques that have technical depth and the bigger folks with the enterprise clients, we combine the technical depth with the enterprise expertise and, and the ability to execute on large projects. I know many customers come right in and they think, hey, I want to implement AI. I want to do this. How do you solve or 
characterize their business problem, have them take a step back. What is your methodology? Before we talk about technology, that's great. Let's first talk about, okay, how do you make money? Like, who are your customers? Those type of basic questions. We start, like, you know, with discovery process where we interview different business stakeholders. You know, a lot of our customers, when they come to us, they don't know the art of the possible, right? Like, they, they're sort of unknown unknowns out there. And so maybe they heard something or read something. We say, okay, let's start from the basics. Let's start about your business problem. Cohort analysis, retention analysis, customer acquisition, you know, inventory analysis, margin analysis, all that kind of stuff that a business needs, uh, we go do and we understand how do we actually take data and analytics and implement or sort of insert that into, the, into those different processes. That makes sense. So are you CEO? Are you practitioner? Or are you both? Both. <laughs> so. how, how do you do both? Your business is growing. Now you've got venture money and, and you still yeah. have time to do both? Well, you know, less and less on the practitioner side these days. But like I said, you know, I still, uh, I've been doing the sales for a long time. We're starting to grow out the sales team. But, you know, I still get in front of customers and talk about their problems and how we actually sort of address them and then come up with ideas with the team. Of course, there's a lot of just operational stuff now where it's like, you know, HR and, you know, hiring recruiting and, you know, all the other things that, that one has to do to grow a business. But, you know, I, I, that's what I'm passionate about. I'm passionate about talking with customers and understanding the problems and getting on a whiteboard and drawing out solution architectures. Like, I love that aspect of it. Uh, like I said, do less of it these days, but, you know, still try, uh, try to stay close to it. So, again, I get the modern setup, the boutique, et cetera, but there must be another moat in there that you haven't noted that's pretty profound. You know, so a couple of things that I think, you know, set us apart more from an operational standpoint. A lot of the other boutiques that we talk to, they also hire typically more experienced folks. We hire more junior folks. And what we do is we really invest in our team and sort of have a, you know, a proprietary kind of training program that gets people who are smart and capable, but maybe lack some of the specific technical skills. We ramp them up. And what we also try to do is take all the, obviously the best practices and lessons learned across projects uh, and, and sort of make them into our methodology. And that really is a, a focus piece, right? Because we don't do like, 10 different BI tools. We don't do like 10 different data warehouse tools. We really focus on a couple, if not one, uh, key technology partner at each layer of the stack. So like Snowflake is our go-to data warehouse. Looker is our go-to BI tool. You know, we have different uh, partners at each layer of the stack and we focus on those tools. You know, so if somebody wants to go implement, you know, Redshift or something like that, you know, other folks are probably good at that. Uh, we'll say, you know what, we're probably not the best friend for you guys. You know, we're really focused on Snowflake because that's how we're going to drive our differentiation, and that's how we're going to drive our kind of premium rate structure. Teach me about consulting. Do you have a mantra around consulting? What is the most important aspect in your mind of consulting? I mean, I don't want to say your organization, but there must be something that you say, hey, here's what our philosophy Yeah, I mean, so we talk about the full stack philosophy, which is, you know, sort of we think that all companies are data driven and things like that. And really, it's about having one team that can work across business and technology. That's kind of the core piece of it. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we work with our customers and take ownership over their business goals. I think, again, like when we kind of position ourselves, business consulting first and IT services secondarily, you know, we understand the business context and come in and help drive towards that. Um, but it's really that full stack philosophy. And, you know, that's really kind of our pitch deck goes through all that and kind of how it works and, and gets us to the solution that, that we arrive at. And we say, hey, if you believe in these different things that you want to do from a strategic level to become data driven, here's the solution that we recommend to go do that. So that's kind of at least uh, the pitch, obviously, without going through the full deck here. But, you know, <laughs> do you ever do just services? I mean, like subcontractor, you say, no, no, no. Our philosophy is business services first. 
So usually we're going to drive the business strategy and then we'll bring in the IT secondary. But if we're not driving the strategy, we typically don't get in. And yeah, we typically don't do that. And that, that's been something that, you know, I think, you know, given the dynamics in the market, a lot of other boutique firms like do typically sort of do that kind of subcontracting work. I mean, maybe we try to come in and get a foot in the door, but we, you know, it's, it's pretty rare that we would do a subcontract with our partners. Uh, a lot of other folks do that, but we want to own the direct relationship with the customer. We want to drive the strategy, put together roadmaps, vision. And then of course we want to execute against that. We want to implement it, of course, but if we are not able to kind of, for example, be a part of the scoping process and understand the business use cases, then Sure, we can move the bits around or whatever, but you know it's not going to actually be successful at the end of the day. And I think that's where a lot of these projects end up failing. Are your contracts P and M, fixed price, managed services, all of the above? Yeah, a little bit of all of the above. I mean, we used to do pretty exclusively fixed price because you know when you're first starting out, you put the risk all on yourself versus the customer. Now, it also aligns incentives pretty nicely, you know, where, you know, the, the incentive for the customer is to get it yesterday. And for us, it's like the quicker we can do a project at fixed price, the, the better we can get and sort of the, the higher margin we can do. But long story short, a lot of, a lot of big enterprise buyers just are used to, hey, here's the rate card on a TNM basis. Let's just go with that, you know, it's, it, because there's a lot of operational overhead. Although we do have some large customers that are still on fixed price because, you know, they have the procurement teams to go through and sort of manage the milestones and stuff like that, the invoicing. But yeah, I mean, you know, managed services is a growing piece of business for us. We are leaning into that in 2022. It's it's a unique offering in the, in the industry around some of these modern tools uh, where, you know, essentially you may have a team of data engineers who need that sort of expertise on how to manage cost and performance and other considerations. So we do offer a managed service around that. It's something that we'll continue to build out. And we also think that there's just a, a broader market for that. Obviously, recurring revenue is great for consulting from. If you have your preference and you, you had to choose between T&M, fixed price and managed services, which bucket you say, look, I'm going all in on subscription or I'm going all in a fixed price because I, I get it up front or what? No, no, we, we would come in with the T&M model and then switch them to, to, to managed services at the end of an implementation. So, you know, we think of the implementation as kind of, accelerating time to value for our customers and de-risking the technology investment that they're making and then being able to support that and, and the long-term success of that sort of, you know, technology and project with managed services. So that's kind of the model that we're, we're leaning into. And, you know, we think that there's a big opportunity where we can get, you know, managed services to be, you know, well, let's call it 20, 25% of revenue uh, long-term, but, you know, that, that's a longer-term investment. Today, you know, bread and butter is project-based, you know, T&M implementations. Is managed services cost effective for most clients in your mind? Yeah, most clients they are. I mean, you think about, like we were talking about before, the market for hiring somebody who's like a snowflake expert, uh, data engineer, um, you know, first off, you're going to have a hard time finding them as we just discussed. You're going to pay them a lot of money, you know, and, and that is not the best use of time. I mean, you can hire folks uh, who know SQL, but maybe don't know snowflake for, you know, a little bit more cost effectively. And so, we're sort of that independent third party where we can say, hey, maybe this workload makes sense over in this tool versus Snowflake. Or, hey, here's a way for you to actually, you know, kind of uh, optimize, let's say, your spend, but you're not spending as much. Or as you grow, you're spending it more effectively. You know, that, that's, I think, a service that, that is absolutely cost effective. From a business solution perspective, what use cases are you spending most of your time on? It runs the gamut. I mean, like marketing is a, is a heavy one. You know, let's say it's um, direct-to-consumer marketing. We work a lot with um, direct-to-consumer video streaming platforms, a bunch of the major ones. And, you know, they're looking for customer acquisition. Like, how, how do we get new subscribers? And then once you get new subscribers, how do you retain them? What are they watching? What are they doing on your platform? 
B2B SaaS is a, is a thing that we work a lot with. So in other words, we help uh, software as a service companies uh, sort of you know optimize their sales team and their go-to-market efforts. So looking at kind of you know sales funnels to cash conversion, all that kind of stuff. Uh, we work a lot with finance teams across different types of industries to understand kind of margin and inventory, supply chains, that kind of stuff. Uh, and, and you know, e-commerce and retail, we do a lot of work with them uh, around kind of conversion rate optimization, funnel analysis, cohort analysis, stuff like that. So, you know, it runs the gamut. It's all kind of business functions out there. Product analytics, you know, product managers want to understand feature usage, A-B testing and stuff like that. So, you know, it really runs the gamut. I, I say that every company has these problems and these challenges, you, if they know, whether they know it or not, right? And so so we, we help a variety of industries with a variety of use cases. Do you use a lot of assets or do you have methodologies to accelerate the engagements up front? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like I said before, we're, we're focused on a pretty core set of technologies. So that means the stuff that we learn on one project is, is quite transferable to another, especially when you think about these kind of industry you know, use cases, like, for example, it's like integrating Salesforce with NetSuite. There's a bunch of companies out there that use Salesforce and NetSuite, for example. They're data silos. They got to put them together in the same place so that they can sort of look at the sales to cash kind of conversion uh, process. And so, like, that's a solution where, you know, we can come up with some repeatable processes that are across the board that, that are relevant. But, of course, Salesforce and NetSuite are both highly customizable, and it's very difficult, you know, to, to have a completely standardized thing. Uh, so we come in, of course, have the bank of knowledge, and we come in and, and customize it. That makes sense. What still surprises you? I mean, with in these engagements, what do you say? Oh man, I tell you what, I, I cannot believe blah. I mean, it, you know, it's not necessarily a surprising thing. It, it sort of continues to um, kind of—I don't want to say—amaze uh, me, but. You know, look, this is why I started a consulting firm, because the problem is rarely technology. There's fantastic technology out there. Uh, you look at a landscape of all the tech, you know, data analytics technology logos, there's like a thousand logos. Nobody knows what they do. You go to the website, it's quite opaque. You can't actually understand it. Even as a practitioner, I can't understand everything. What I still am amazed, though, is like it's still just a people process kind of problem. And this is why, you know, I started a consulting firm, because having the experience and the methodologies and the playbooks and just the ability to understand and connect business use cases to the technology is still just a big gap throughout businesses. And, and that's really what I'm passionate about solving. And, you know, like I said, you just see it over and over and over again. Doesn't matter the industry, doesn't matter the use case. Again, it's just mostly people process technology uh, is situation, but the technology is there. People and process is where we focus most. What is true that no one really agrees with you on? You know, one of the things that I just am not buying into the AI machine learning hype yet. So that's my opinion. You know, I think like what I actually think, you know, when you kind of ask about consulting firms with AI and machine learning, I think like most of that stuff is going to be taken care of software as a service, very niche use cases, very like specific industry verticals. So it's like predictive maintenance for utility companies or recommendation systems for e-commerce companies. So, you know, I think a lot of that hype around AI machine learning, you know, you, you watch golf or you watch sports, you get an IBM commercial, <laughs> you get like, you know, different commercials that are talking about different things and AI hype. Anyway, so I think it's a little overhyped. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's still early game for a lot of companies building out their data analytics capabilities. Um, so, you know, if there's one thing controversial, I'll go out on that one. <laughs> well, that, well, at least you answered it. That's good. I mean, I, I differ a little bit, as you might imagine, coming yeah. from IBM. Having said that, I mean, where I don't differ is, uh, look, there's a lot of people in spreadsheets. They got to get from point A to point B. Yeah. I mean, their maturity curve is just starting still. Yeah. I say this all the time. That's why I got a podcast, because it's just the, the, the fundamentals. 
And we do get a lot of folks, you know, look, AI is, is just computer science at the end of the day. Yep. Exactly. It's, it's, it's machine learning consistent, but you got to be able to, you know, they come in and say, oh, I want to do churn analysis, whatever. Then we go look at their data and it's like, oh my goodness, it's... That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> it's only as good as the data coming in, right? So I, I, from that standpoint, I totally agree. There's enough work to be done on yeah. the front end to get people on this maturity curve. But I do think uh, the faster they get on there and the faster they're able to leverage like machine learning, et cetera, the, the more competitive uh, they will be. Absolutely. My main point was like, it's still very, very early days. And so I think... You know, when you watch the commercials, you almost get a sense of FOMO, right? Like, oh, man, everyone's doing it, right? Like, I'm behind the curve. You know, I maybe have a little bit of a skunk works type project on the side to kind of figure this one out. But it's like, nah, we're we're just not there yet. I think it's a big growth area, obviously, a big opportunity both for our company, but also for companies in general, uh, you know, and businesses to actually enable this stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day. uh, We're just still in early days. So, Well, but I do think I totally agree. I think we're in alignment here. I do agree that I, I think you can leapfrog. It's not too late is what I was about to say. It's not too That's late for, sure. for a number of different reasons, but I also think you can catch up and leapfrog some of the competition. You don't have to, you know, you can take different use cases or smaller edge use cases, start there and then build it up and then hit those across the maturity curve where you are using AI and use some of the others and, and take your time with those. So you can modernize ASAP. The one thing we can probably agree on that, you know, everybody listening should take note of is, look, Start. Just start. Show up. Get yes. started. You're, you're, it's not too late, but let's get started and you can lead the competition. So when you do consulting, I'm curious because I manage a consulting organization. Maybe it won't apply to everybody listening, but it apply to me. So I'll ask it anyway. It's my podcast, so I can do that. Do you look at things like utilization? Are you burning down yeah. backlog? And, you know, it's all the different leading the lag metrics. I mean, anything... Yeah. Any out of the ordinary metric that you would say, now look, we've started doing X, Y, or Z? Consulting in and of itself, I think, is a pretty tried and true business model. I think for me, you know, so, so all the metrics that you talked about, like utilization, uh, backlog, burn down, et cetera, et cetera, like bookings, all, all that good stuff, right? right? Just all the basic metrics are certainly still relevant. Um, you know, it's really kind of inputs, hiring and recruiting, you know, output, sales, and projects, right? So it's not a complex business model from that perspective. What we try to do for at least, you know, for our team internally is to create more of a startup tech-like culture and take a lot of lessons and things that I've learned from culture and values from companies that I've worked at in the startup ecosystem, bring that more to consulting. Like the, I mean, a lot of people are doing it now. It's not like groundbreaking, but we've been doing it since 2015, just distributed teams, remote work, Zoom. Most of our work with our clients even is remote. So even before the pandemic, we weren't traveling and getting on planes and doing that kind of thing. So we're trying to have a better culture and differentiate on that for our hiring and recruiting side of the house. But, you know, from a business model perspective, it's really just the same. Is your company yourself data-driven? Meaning, do you have like models that, you know, like you were talking about in terms of the backlog? I mean, you're loading the truck and you're putting things on the truck and people have to deliver what's on the truck. Do you have models that, that predict, all right, well, so we have so much on the truck, so we know that we should have X amount of revenue this quarter and that's how it's predicted. Uh, oh, or is it more bottoms up? And I mean, just curious <laughs> if you're data driven yourself. I mean, it's like a case of the cobbler's children having no shoes, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> <laughs> we've had a data and analytics initiative and a business intelligence initiative for like the last couple quarters. And, uh, you know, a lot of these things, it, you know, we don't have the bandwidth. It's like all of our consultants are focused on our customer projects and not on internal projects. So, you know, the other day I was making a joke to our team. I was like, man, 
we're really not making enough uh, progress on this data analytics internal initiative. Like, man, we, we should hire like a data analytics. <laughs> 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 Consulting companies that you get it done. Yeah, exactly. Isn't that the truth? It's, yeah, you know. It's hard to feed yourself first, I, yeah. I, particularly if you're trying to grow the way you're trying to go and start off. And then your venture funded, the last thing they want to see is added cost internally. I, I right, right. But then, you know, but on the flip side, right, everyone wants to see the metrics. Hey, Nick, what do the bookings look like? What's the pipeline looking like? What's hiring and recruiting looking like? You know what I mean? So it's like, we got to have the metrics. And, you know, right now it's, we're, hey, we're in spreadsheets and, and pretty soon, <laughs> hopefully we're hopefully we're going to get onto something like Looker. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I hear you. So at least you, you're open and honest. I can appreciate that. How has the pandemic affected you? You know, everyone back in March 2020 was I mean, like, you know, no one knew it was going to happen. You know, luckily we had enough pipeline. We closed a couple of big deals right around the early pandemic. And like I said, like, from a working perspective with our team and with our clients, you know, we've always been remote. We've always been distributed. We've always had this sort of cadence and across time zones, even like all this kind of stuff. So we were able to shift from a working style into it pretty easily. The question, of course, was, you know, how well sort of IT budgets and project budgets sort of shape out. You know, we were able to make it through, luckily, and things really started to pick back up since since probably the end of last summer or, you know, towards the end of last year. I mean, things came back with a vengeance, and now we're seeing lots of people really accelerate these types of projects. Uh, I think, you know, obviously, you know, I'm not some you know, pontificator here, but you, you could read in the news about how folks are now shifting more and more to digital and more and more to direct to consumer. And that's just tailwinds for us. And, and we've, we've been dealing with that prior to the pandemic. So I think if anything, it's just accelerated things. Um, hiring has been more challenging and, and some of the things that we do uh, as a remote team, you know, we used to have offsites, we used to get everyone together once a year. And so that's kind of been difficult, just like probably every business has had challenges around employee engagement, you know, and now leading into retention. But Let's say we've been quite lucky to, to be able to make it through uh, and actually thrive during that period. Well, two parts you you kind of uh, you talked to that I had uh, two notes here is one is hiring. Yep. I mean, so let's let's start there. Look for IBM and most people know IBM. It's still hard. I mean, it's yep. really hard to find candidates. How are you able to find candidates? Maybe you can give me a secret. I'm not trying to steal your secrets here. <laughs> I mean, how do you? I mean, now there's some people that you know. I get it. Big fish. They want to be a bigger fish in a, a smaller pond or whatever. And I right. get that totally. So you, you have definite advantages for that state, but I still got to believe it's tough. Oh, it's, it's absolutely tough. I mean, like we're in a jam in terms of our capacity right now because the 2020, 2021 hiring cycle was pretty lean. It, it was not as much as we expected. And most of our hiring recruiting actually comes from universities. So a lot of our hiring recruiting comes from, you know, business analytics or, Masters in business analytics, different boot camps and stuff like that. Universities, obviously, were sort of enrollment was down and, you know, people weren't in person. And, you know, typically, if you think about hiring and recruiting, it takes a lot of effort in person uh, to go to career fairs, job fairs, info sessions, all the stuff that you do on campus. So we weren't able to do that as much as we, we wanted to and we had in the past. And so we kind of suffered for it this year. You know, we're hoping to get back in person uh, on campuses uh, this coming spring here. But, you know, cross your fingers and, and knock on wood. But that's that's the strategy. And, it, and it's worked out well for us. It's just been difficult to execute during the pandemic. And what about engagement? I mean, how many Zoom happy hours have you been to this <laughs> year? Know. You know, we started <laughs> off, did a couple, you know, a ton of Zoom happy hours. And, you know, that after about the first six months, no more Zoom happy hours. They kinda, that's what I'm saying, right? I mean, it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, we're going to do another Zoom happy hour. I mean. 
but but like how excited would you be if you came to a, a you know a real life in person happy hour you know with folks that you work with i mean you know there's so many people that we've hired in the last i mean because we're growing we, we have hired about 30 people this year almost double the size of the company and you know i've never met a lot of these folks in person and and they don't have like i said before we're if we're differentiating ourselves on hiring and recruiting uh via our culture and our values and our work life and, and sort of our style then it's very difficult to get a sense of that uh, just over Zoom. And, and, you know, folks who are like, you know, again, we have a lot of young folks on the team, a lot of folks in like New York City, for example. You know, you're in an a apartment, like 400 square foot apartment with five roommates. You can't work from home in, the, in that kind of situation, right? You know, they, they want an office. They want a social life at work. I, I still believe this. We're, we're, you know, we just signed a big lease in, in New York. We're working on expanding our offices in Denver. So, you know, I do think that the office culture will come back. We've always been doing hybrid work anyway. We've always had a flexible work from home policy, but it's been really difficult to get folks, you know, to drink the Kool-Aid, if you will, of our, of our culture and values without in-person. Makes sense. If most everything is in-house, and this will sound like kind of a silly question because I could maybe answer, but if it's mostly in-house, why the venture capital funding? That's something that, you know, we think that there's just a great opportunity, lots of tailwinds. And, you know, we've, we have been bootstrapped for, you know, five and a half, six years. And there's a lot of just risks to that, right? You know, you, you can't hire ahead of the curve as much as you'd like. You can't maybe make the investments and uh, the right opportunities. You know, like, for example, COVID, right? Like, we were, we were bootstrapped during COVID. And we're like, okay, is this the end of the company, right? Like, is everything just going to dry up and we're going to have to lay everyone off? You know, so having that cushion to be able to weather the storms of, of different market trends, to be able to hire ahead of the curve and to make some of those investments, like you mentioned before, like we're talking about building out a sales team, a marketing team, HR, all the different functional areas you need to grow a business. Kind of the SGNA stuff that you, you wouldn't That's know. right. Like normally it would be like, all right, we're, we're, I mean, unless they're billing or selling something and they're not coming on board, you know, but now we have the opportunity to really start fleshing these things out and become a much more mature organization. So if I talk to you two, three years from now in DOS 42, where do you think you're at? Yeah. And so I kind of mentioned this before, but, you know, we're looking for that scaled boutique, kind of that, you know, something in the 250, 500 person range company that's, you know, bigger yeah. than your sort of real small folks, uh, you know, uh, smaller than some of your uh, regional and mid-market folks, because we think there's just that opportunity. In two to three years, we'll start layering on, hopefully we'll have much larger managed service business will start laying on some of that machine learning and AI that we talked about. We're going to have to start making investments there over the next few years to really kind of build out service offerings and practice areas around that. You know, it's really just, you know, I think a lot of it though is continuing to focus and double down on what's working rather than sort of really kind of pivoting. And so it's kind of more like we want to be the partner of choice for companies across their entire data analytics, you know, kind of journey. Right now we're kind of in the first couple of innings of, of a lot of folks' journeys, and then we want to be the, the folks along the curve. So in other words, data applications, machine learning, data governance, data strategy, change management, all that kind of stuff. Those all just become practice areas. But I think, you know, the other thing too is like it's exciting because these days every company is a technology company. You know, we can kind of pivot to management consulting if you want to and kind of go you know, McKinsey, Bain, you know, BCG route. But um, yeah, I don't know. It's it's exciting. I mean, it's it's a great space to be in, and I've got a lot of energy, as you said at the top of the podcast too. So. <laughs> what are your practices today? Business intelligence and data warehousing; those are the two ones. And so, you know, as part of the engagements, we also do things like data governance and you know data strategy and other things. But but really, it's all kind of in service of just business intelligence and data warehousing. That's really the key practice area for us right now, and, and we'll start to add that uh, you know, add on to that later on. 
What, what do you think the next one you'll add will be? We kind of go back and forth where it's kind of this machine learning, predictive analytics. I, I think it's probably more of the applications. Like I said, it's like kind of that interim step. So we had like data applications, which is kind of more of an app dev type shop, but it's really focused on leveraging the skills and tools that we have in the data and analytics space and then making these specific real kind of focused uh, use cases uh, out of it. Um, but that's, that's probably it. That or a change management kind of practice that encompasses like data governance and solution architecture and road mapping and technology rationalization. There's, there's a few different aspects to that, I think, there. What do you think the biggest mistake most consulting companies make is? The number one rule in my mind of consulting companies is twofold. Well, I guess, well, the number one rule is raise your rates. <laughs> you know what I mean? You're probably raise your rates? Is that what you yeah, 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 exactly. You know what I mean? I mean, especially, if, you know, like, think about the, like the solopreneur type person, right? Like the person who just like, it's kind of more like the freelance consultant, right? You know, if they, you know, it's one thing if you want to be a, that freelancer forever. If you're trying to start and bootstrap kind of a smaller consulting business, uh, that's that's the number one rule is raise your rates. You're probably not charging enough. Um, the second, of course, is, you know, hiring too early. That obviously is deadly. But, you know, I think the thing with, with me is like I was a practitioner, so I was able to do a lot of the work myself where we kind of get bootstrapped and put money in the bank. But, uh, yeah, always go out there. Are, your, are your rates directly proportional to the maturity of the individual? In other words, they're um, kind of their length of time in the industry uh, holistically, or is it just based on the industry skill, what the market will bear? bear? Yeah, it's, it's mostly the latter. Uh, you know, certainly we have a tiered rate structure. So that way, you know, we can have a blended, you know, sort of staffing right. model where we have different levels. Uh, you know, we can't have necessarily people charging a whole ton of money right out of college, but we certainly it's mostly driven by the market. But let's put it that way. Um, and that's that's kind of why I'm saying always keep raising your rates, because like, especially in times like this, when, you know, the, the market for hiring is so tough, you know, the demand is so high. Uh, it's just supply and demand. I remember I went to school for economics, right? It's just it's just that supply and demand. <laughs> right. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So where can folks reach out to DOS? Yeah, it's just it's just DOS42.com. That's the website. My my email is just nick at DOS42.com. Keep things simple. Always happy to uh, talk to folks and hopefully say something smart and maybe work together. <laughs> All right. Look, we'll put that in our show notes. Thank you for being here. I, I've got uh, just a couple of quick questions. What do you do for fun, man? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, these days, not as much. I, I like to golf. I like to collect records. I like to cook. Uh, I have a lot of hobbies that I don't seem to ever do anything with, is, is what I'll say. <laughs> what records? What's your favorite record? You know, I, I so I like uh, collecting 50s and 60s, you know, R&B and soul wow. records. So, yeah, so I like kind of the Motown, doo-wop, early R&B. And then 80s, I go into more like hip-hop and early 90s hip-hop. And then some like disco and stuff like that. I, you know, it's polyglot, right? You know, I, I like different different types of genres. And you're throwing this on a turntable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I got I got you know two turntables, and you know, I actually I used to do like uh, music production, so I, that that's a big hobby of mine. You know, I have a whole <laughs> half studio full of stuff that I this is just collecting dust. You on got the a shelf studio? You're like going wah, 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 wah. <laughs> Yeah, you do this? Yeah, of course, of course. Wow. That's, See, that's that was yeah, and my, my, you know, my wife, uh, you know, is like, turn it all down, you know what I mean? Like, anyway. <laughs> you must not have made too much money in there. You wouldn't be doing consulting. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't pay the bills, but it's a, it's a fun time, uh, you know, to party with your friends on the weekend and DJ for them. <laughs> nice, nice. Hey, I'm going to play a quick game, and I, I don't do it all the time, but I, I've got a couple questions for you. This is called, Would You Rather? Okay. Okay. All you right. gotta you gotta pick one side of the fence. You can't say, well, I gotta do both. You know, you gotta pick one. That's the thing. Okay. Whatever. Right. Okay. 
raising money or self-funded? Uh, self-funded. <laughs> All right. Growth or profitability? Profitability. Yeah, that's econ right there. All right. <laughs> if you, I don't know. Hold on. I had this question down. This is more like not a would you rather, but it's a question. I, if you had one million to deliver growth and you could spend it in one place, would you spend it on human or, or, or technology? Humans, people. All right. When hiring, do you hire for skill or culture? Culture. Well, you're answering those awfully quick. All right. <laughs> in your, your CEO style, are you very forward and direct or more like purposeful and thoughtful? Direct. Direct. All right. Hey, that, that's all the questions I got, man. I, I, I'm all out. It's been a pleasure talking with you. Uh, I always like to talk to a fellow consultant because uh, I learned a lot, man. So that's great. Well, thank you so yeah, much. Well, thanks for having me, Ali. I really appreciate it and enjoyed the conversation. So, uh, yeah, well, hopefully we'll, we'll catch up soon. All right, folks, you know where to reach out to. DOS42. 42 is the answer. Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy right there. He's thought into that. He's, he must have read that book a few times. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for listening. You can always reach out to me on almartintalksdata at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. And until next time, I will see you on the podcast. Thanks, folks. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, let's go over and out. Oh.